Podcast, episode 182. Hello and welcome to the final episode of this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet, with me your host, Connor Hanrity. We reached our final cliffhanger last week as the first ambassador asked where they might have their thanks for the execution of their duties and the news that they have brought. Horatio replies at length. Not from his mouth had it the ability of life to thank you. He never gave commandment for their death. But since so jump upon this bloody question, you from the Polack Wars and you from England are here arrived, give order that these bodies high on a stage be placed to the view. And let me speak to the yet unknowing world how these things came about. So shall you hear of carnal, bloody and unnatural acts, of accidental judgments, casual slaughters, of deaths put on by cunning and forced cause, and in this upshot purposes mistook fallen on the inventors' heads. All this can I truly deliver. There's a little intrigue to be had here. Horatio tells the truth and says that Claudius won't thank them for ensuring that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are killed. The ambassador has already acknowledged that he's dead, and so his ears are deaf to their message. Horatio agrees, and also points out that he never gave commandment for their death. Of course, we know that Hamlet orchestrated that. So does Horatio. To me, it feels like he's trying to get the ambassadors to back down a little. They've brought this news of a mistake they've made. Now is not the time to be looking for thanks. Before things escalate, Horatio attempts to stage-manage the situation. Since, he says, they've all arrived at the same time into such a scene of bloody death and national emergency, it would be prudent to display the bodies to the Danish public and explain what has happened. But since, so jump upon this bloody question, you from the Polak Wars and you from England are here arrived, give order that these bodies high on a stage be placed to the view. Again, there's a strong echo of Julius Caesar here. After the assassination in that play, Mark Antony is amazingly shrewd in the way he shows Caesar's dead body to the Roman public. Horatio likewise is volunteering to address the nation. As he rightly puts it, nobody outside knows anything yet. He is the last man standing, and has expressed pleas from Hamlet to tell his story. He will explain how these things came about and he gives a list of the kinds of things his story will contain. Let me speak to the yet unknowing world how these things came about. So shall you hear of carnal, bloody and unnatural acts, of accidental judgments, casual slaughters, of deaths put on by cunning and forced cause, and, in this upshot, purposes mistook fallen on the inventors' heads. Horatio keeps his list vague, this is surely deliberate. He himself is a bit of an outsider here, although that thread of the story disappears early in the play once Hamlet has welcomed him to Elsinore. Fortinbras is also a foreign power, and there will now have to be an election for the new king. Horatio doesn't necessarily know who his friends might be, so he's being careful not to assign any blame with this list. The play has certainly included carnal, bloody and unnatural acts, most of these committed by Claudius. Sex crimes, incest, fratricide and regicide are all on his rap sheet and certainly all fall within this description. 
accidental judgments and casual slaughters are more vague. Polonius's death is certainly due to Hamlet's accidental assumption that it was Claudius behind the arras. Casual here means accidental too, or happening by chance rather than offhand or nonchalant. And again, Polonius's death fits that category. There are also deaths put on by cunning and forced cause. Gertrude, Laertes, Rosencrantz, Guildenstern and even Hamlet himself are all victims in this bracket. Hamlet is technically murdered by Laertes, but that death is as much due to the king's putting on and his cunning as Laertes' revenge. Horatio reduces the scene to an upshot, quite literally the last part of an archery contest in which matched competitors fired directly upwards and then left the result to how the arrows would fall from there. Here, purposes mistook have fallen on the inventors' heads. And so Laertes and Claudius himself are also dead, their plans having backfired and resulted in their deaths. It's a neat summary of the play without being a recap. There's still a reason for Horatio to tell us all this, and indeed, there's a lot going on in the way he relates it. He confirms that all this can I truly deliver. Indeed, he's the only one who can. Since we are drawing to the very end of the play, and as things stand, the stage is full of corpses, it makes a lot of sense for Horatio to have suggested that they display the bodies elsewhere. It gives a reason for everyone to leave the stage and bring away the bodies. Fortinbras agrees. Let us haste to hear it, and call the noblest to the audience. For me, with sorrow, I embrace my fate. I have some rights of memory in this kingdom, which now to claim my vantage doth invite me. Fortinbras wants the most senior ranking Danish nobles brought in to hear Horatio's account. He's no fool. While they're there, they can also elect him king. Graciously enough, he says that with sorrow I embrace my fortune. He's careful to acknowledge the tragedy that has all but handed him the crown. He reminds all present that he has some rights to land in Denmark, at the very least the lands that were forfeited by his father to old Hamlet. This turn of events, as he puts it, now invites Fortinbras to claim what was his of old. And Horatio agrees. Of that I shall have also cause to speak, and from his mouth whose voice will draw no more. But let this same be presently performed, even while men's minds are wild, lest more mischance on plots and errors happen. Horatio is acknowledging that he has something like a message from Hamlet on this subject. Fortinbras had Hamlet's dying voice. So, in the ensuing talk of succession, Hamlet's choice of Fortinbras will be borne into account. But for now, Horatio brings attention back to the matter at hand. This same needs to be dealt with and presently performed. Men's minds are wild, and they should get to work before any more mischance, plots or errors happen. Lines have been shared throughout this scene since Fortinbras and the ambassadors have entered. Each person has tended to end a little speech on a half-line, picked up by the next speaker and concluded. Everyone has been speaking in verse, but with a great many extra syllables and feminine endings and the like. There's a sense of unease and tension built even into the rhythms Shakespeare gives them all to speak. 
we come now to the last speech of the play, and Fortinbras speaks in very steady, perfect pentameters. Let four captains bear Hamlet like a soldier to the stage, for he was likely, had he been put on, to have proved most royally, and for his passage, the soldier's music and the rites of war speak loudly for him. Take up the bodies, such a sight as this becomes the field, but here shows much amiss. It was standard practice on stage, to the extent that it's mentioned here, and in numerous other plays, to have four men carry a body off the stage. Any smaller number might be undignified and probably awkward. Certainly, for a towering figure like Hamlet, there was no way that this could be performed by any fewer number of actors. Fortinbras instructs that he be carried out to this stage from which they will address the nation like a soldier. He wasn't crowned, but for his dying moments Hamlet was technically King of Denmark, and Fortinbras graciously acknowledges that had he been crowned he would have proved most royally. Hamlet would have been a good king. So Fortinbras is instructing that the soldiers' music and the rites of war should speak loudly for Hamlet and his passage from this life to the next. Soldiers' music is the drum and the pipe. Productions are always welcome to create their own version of a dead march for Hamlet. Fortinbras has half a line here, giving room for a pause or a respectful silence as his soldiers move in to tend to Hamlet's body. There are several other corpses on the stage, but whether they are to be removed or not will depend on how many actors or pallbearers are available for a given production. Very often, they're left on the stage, but Fortinbras does instruct, take up the bodies. Such a sight as this becomes the field, but here shows much amiss. The sight of so many corpses strewn across a space might be understandable on a battlefield, but here, inside a castle, it shows much amiss. It is totally inappropriate. Fortinbras here has had a final rhyming couplet, but in the rhythm that our ears have become accustomed to within this scene, he gets one final half-line to end the play and begin the pageantry of its conclusion. Go, he says, a cue for the men to lift Hamlet's body, bid the soldiers shoot. Hamlet is to be given a salute, a peal of ordnance, befitting the king he almost was. And there you have it. Four years, over 4,000 lines, 30 hours of material, a quarter of a million streams in 130 countries later, we've reached the end of the play. Today is my 40th birthday, and I'm delighted I managed to fit the whole project from August 2017 right up until today, even with occasional breaks and bonus episodes to keep things interesting. The original plan was for this episode to be recorded at Elsinore in Denmark, but obviously the pandemic put paid to those plans. Rest assured, as soon as I am able to travel safely and to visit, and indeed as soon as Denmark opens up again, I will do so, and it will make, I hope, for a very special bonus episode sometime in the not-too-distant future. For now, I want to thank you most sincerely for accompanying me on this odyssey. 
It has been my favourite thing I have ever created, and what's made it worthwhile has been the community of people who have written in, or said hello, or tweeted, or bought me a coffee, or just tuned in every week. None of it has gone unnoticed, and I'm so glad to have seen that people enjoyed it all over the world, and most of all at home here in Ireland. A little over ten years ago, I assisted on a production of the play when I was in graduate school, and I felt I had barely scratched the surface of the play and its story and its mysteries by the time that we were finished. At this stage, I might claim to know a little more about it than I did then. Certainly, I think it might be time for me to think about directing the play myself. As soon as that might come about, I promise you'll be the first to know. <laughs>